Welcome to another fun-filled edition of Second City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom Style. Along with Lakina McGee, I am Cindy Brown. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter and the IG at CK80. Once again, at CK80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. And I'm at, I'm at almost at 100%. You follow me at Kena McGee on the Twitter and at Kena underscore McGee on the IG. You can follow this podcast, Second City Sports, first right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at WARR Media. Videos drop every Monday and Friday. Once again, videos drop every Monday and Friday for sneak peek. You can catch the audio version of this program, which would, which is at War on Anchor, which is released every Tuesday and Saturday. Once again, the audio version of this program is released every Tuesday and Saturday. That's at War on Anchor. We're available on all podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app. Just type in that search engine box on all podcast platforms. We're available. available. W-A-R-R on Anchor. Go to our website, weareregalradio.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at W-A-R-R Media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you in advance for your support. Like, share, subscribe, subscribe, and tell your friends. Yes, and we are unapologetically fun. Lakina, let's get this out the way. Uh, if you're a Chicago baseball fan, it was not fun uh, this past weekend. One for seven, one went out of seven games for both of our Chicago teams. We'll get to the Cubs in just a moment. Uh, they were the only baseball team to have a win. Lakina, let's get the garbage out the way. Let's talk about the Chicago White Sox. They were swept by the Houston Astros in all four games. Uh, the first game of the series last Thursday, they got trounced. Last Friday's game, they lost in a heartbreaker. Saturday's game in front of a national audience, uh, they did not look good. And there was some stuff that I want to discuss with you that I've heard mm-hmm. uh, during that broadcast on Saturday. We'll discuss in just a moment. Sunday's game did not look good either. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Just, just, not a good, just not a good weekend all around for uh, the White Yeah. Look, I'm not gonna freak out just yet. I mean, this is what happens mm-hmm. when you, when you're not at 100%, like like I am mm-hmm. right now. I'm, I'm getting better, but you know, this is a whole different uh, story. But yeah, the White Sox. This is sort of like when you're shorthanded. This unfortunately, this is sort of like, mm-hmm. especially when you have a hot team like the Astros. They've been a hot team for the last month. Unfortunately, this is this is sort of you know we saw what happened. You saw how dominant they were on say you know, on Saturday and Sunday those weekend games. Also Fridays too. Friday's game was just terrible for the White Sox, and it, it just they, look. I'm not look. White Sox fans should not freak out. You guys should not freak out just yet. I know Sid's got something to say. And I know I, I know what he want to ask me too. We you know, we'll get to that in a bit, but. Yeah, this is sort of one of those things where you're, you're just, you just aren't there yet. Now, hopefully, once Eloy is able to come back and, you know, and everything else, maybe Rick Hall will maybe make a trade. We'll see again. We'll talk about that uh, later. But, you know, it's just sort of like, uh, yeah, that, that's just – But right now, the White Sox, they might be the best team in their division, but they're probably are not there yet as the best team in the AL. That, that's a fair assessment, and as usual, Lakina steals a couple of my talking points, but <laughs> I'll elaborate off of that. Uh, first, them not being at 100%, we know this just about for the whole season, and they've been doing it with smoke and mirrors. Are they still a good baseball team? Yes. Am I worried? Not yet, but you are concerned. Now, the starting pitching, this is the time that – this is really the, the worst stretch of the season there as of this recording. Yeah. They are currently on a four-game uh, losing streak as they'll take on the Pittsburgh Pirates for a two, quick two-game series in, in PNC Park starting tonight, for those of you listening to our audio podcast. Hmm. 
I'll, I'll, I'll say this for the Sox. GM Rick Hahn, I've given them credit all season long for having depth on this team. They cannot afford to have any more injuries. I know there's some Sox fans that are going to say, well, Rick Hahn needs to make a trade now. Folks, how this is going to play out, he's going to wait till after the All-Star break. Not too many teams make trades before July 4th, folks. And especially even though we don't have the expanded playoffs this year, thank goodness, <laughs> but everything's back to normal. More teams are going to be in a wild card race because you have the, the, the first two uh, teams that finish in a wild card race, they face off to, to represent, uh, represent their respective leagues in a wild card. So things will get back to normal as far as that is concerned. But Rick Hahn, I think he's doing this now correctly. You weigh it out to see uh, what this team needs. I'm sure he knows what this team needs by now. Yeah. They, oh, need, sure. they need a bat and they need another veteran bullpen arm to help, help them out. But blah. Buster trades are not made, definitely not before July 4th, okay? So this is going to uh, take all the way to the deadline on Saturday, July 31st. This is how it's going to play out. If they make a big deal before then, I'll be shocked. But for the White Sox, uh, from starting tonight in Pittsburgh until the All-Star break, the only teams that you're going to play over 500 right now with their record, I think they're game to over 500, which is Seattle, which they're going to come in here on the south side this coming weekend. But outside of that, you play Pittsburgh, you play Detroit. I don't have the rest of the schedule in front of me, but uh, you you play Minnesota as well. So you have 18 games remaining between now and the All Star break. You, you should be fine. So, well, but getting back getting back to the, real quick, getting back to the starting pitching. This is my original point. Uh-huh. Getting back to the starting pitching. This is the worst stretch they had as a rotation so far this season. Am I ro- worried about that as a group? No. I think they'll be fine. I trust Lance Lynn, who stunk it up on Saturday. These things happen. I think he'll be fine. Dallas Keiko, who who started to turn around a little bit, he he didn't look good on Sunday. I think he'll be fine. I think the one pitcher that I'm worried about is Dylan Cease. Yeah, Cease uh, would yeah, so have some of those bad habits. Yeah, I'm not ready to throw. I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater on him just yet. The lesser. Of the concern in that rotation is Lucas Giolito. I think he'll be fine, but the one one that I worry about is Dylan Cease. Like I said, I'm not ready to throw him out the rotation yet. That yet to give him a chance to bounce back between now and the All Star break. So I think the the this team is carried by their starting rotation. I think they'll they'll regroup, especially with the teams that we mentioned coming up. So they should get healthy and rebound right before the All-Star break. Now, their bullpen has been taxed because the starting pitching has not lived up to the expectations. But the reason why I afford that because the offense is hit and miss. We mentioned this team doesn't hit a lot of home runs, in which is okay. But you still got to create opportunities uh, for us to issue. And that's something that this team does not do on a consistent basis. Yes, the majority of that is the reason that they cannot do that is because of injuries. But this team needs a big bat. In the lineup, where you're going to get it, I don't know. I let GM Rick kind of worry about that. But uh, this offense, I think it will be fine in the short term. But in the long term, do you, you think this is a roster that could go deep in the playoffs? You're sadly mistaken. Well, let's start with the uh, the C's. You know, the C's. Um, he showed a lot of bad habits in that Thursday game against the Astros. Just did not look good at all. And I, look, I. I it kind of feel like the the Astros are one of the top you know top teams you know hitting wise in the, in um, in the majors. So I I wouldn't feel too bad <clears throat> too bad about it if you know since he really didn't have did not he did not have his best stuff. I mean, actually none of them did. You know, Lynn didn't have had his worst mm-hmm. start easily his worst start this season. 
Mm -hmm. um, Keuchel didn't have a good look against his former team. Like, I'm not worried about them right now. Like, look, they get Pittsburgh. They're finishing up a two-gamer. They're starting a two-game against Pittsburgh starting tonight. Then you've got Seattle. Then you got four, four as you host Minnesota, three at Detroit, mm -hmm. three more against Minnesota, and three more at Baltimore before you, as you finish up the, before you get to the all-star break. So there, there is, there is, there are chances there where the White Sox can kind of get back into it, sort of get back into their groove. So I'm not worried about them. Now, as far as the trades are concerned, look, I, I guess, I guess what Escobar, Eduardo Escobar from the Diamondbacks, that's the name that's being blown around as probably a potential replacement for Madrigal. I mean, there, there have been some names we thrown around for the bullpen. So I think right now, look, Rick Hahn didn't get this far by being dumb, okay? He's going to, you know, play his cards right. You know, look, they rarely make trades before the trade deadline. Unless it's a really good, like, deal for both sides. So don't – for all the White Sox fans that are hoping that maybe they'll, they'll pull off a trade before the All-Star break, it's not happening. It rarely happens, so – yeah, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, the offense did not look good either. So you kind of thought that maybe the offense would pick up the slack since the pitching wasn't very good. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not too worried about, like, these things happening. If you're, look, you're in a long 162-game season. You're going to have stretches where you're going to be scoring seven or eight runs a game, but then you're going to have stretches where you're going to score one, two runs, if, if any at all. So this is sort of like a par for the course for the season. So uh, if you're a White Sox fan, you shouldn't be too worried about it right now. You're listening to Second City Sports along with Lakina McGee. I'm Sydney Brown as we talk about the Chicago White Sox and them being swept by the Houston Astros. They start a quick two-game series on the road tonight at Pittsburgh. Lakina, going back to the Astros series, they scored a total of eight runs through four ball games. This is not going to get it done. They're pitching. Uh, was starting pitch was shellacked uh, by a very good Houston hitting team with Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, and Jordan Alvarez. Uh, those guys can hit, and so the Astros showed that this past weekend. But I want to discuss something with you, and I put out a tweet uh, last Saturday during the uh, uh, during Fox's broadcast. It was done by Chicago uh, Bulls announcer, Chicago's very own Adam Amin, and former White Sox. World Series champion from 05, A.J. Przinsky. And they talked about Yermin Mercedes' struggle ever since that quote-unquote incident uh, in Minnesota last month. Ever since then, he's only hit two home runs. Talking about the Yominator. He's only hit two home runs since then. And he was all for 19 uh, during that four-game series against the Astros. I don't know if he's going to play in this series against Pittsburgh because in the National League ballpark, there's no DH rule. So if, if you're Tony La Russa, hope you get – uh, your mean these two days. I hope that he does. But going forward, do you? Um, I want to ask you: uh, Do you give your mean Mercedes not just these two games off against Pittsburgh? Do you perhaps because they have an off day on Thursday and then they'll mm -hmm. play Seattle over the weekend? Do you give uh, your mean? I don't know if you want to give too many days off, but do you give them these two games off against Pittsburgh and maybe perhaps the Friday night game off against? Uh, Seattle because he's really been struggling ever since that quote-unquote incident uh, last month. Uh, and watching his at-bats, it looks like he's looking for the home run mm -hmm. and that's not happening. You know this as well as I do. Whenever you come out and, and you start hitting the ball right away, not to me, people know your scouting report. They don't know how to attack you. When the tape is out on you, you have to adjust and, and Yermi has failed to adjust to what the opponents have done to him. He, like I said, he's looking for the home run ball every time. That's not going to happen at this level. I know he's trying to establish himself as a Major League Baseball player, but you got to take what the 
what the pitcher gives you. If he's throwing pitches all over the place and you're not swinging, take that walk. If he's giving you a, a ball that you can hit to uh, to right field for a double or just give you a ball just to hit for a base hit, you take that. But every every ball that's thrown to you is not going to be a home run ball. So you got to take what the pit, what the pitchers give you. Well, it's interesting. Is it is it because of that? Is it because that you know pitchers are starting to figure him out? I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, this is his first you know full season the major, so maybe mm-hmm. maybe pitchers are starting to figure out you know what kind of what kind of you know pitches he'll hit and you know trying to trap him. So, I, I mean, look, I, you hope that maybe he can get out of it. I mean, again, this is sort of par for the course for a young season. You're gonna go through mm-hmm. slumps, but. You know, I, I would probably give him a couple of games off just to kind of like, you know, get get his head right, get his mind right, and just, you know, try to see if if it is a, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's a physical issue, but it's more mental. So I think maybe he needs to kind of, you know, get out, get, you know, get off for a little bit to kind of like, you know, decompress and do whatever he needs to do so he can get back to being the Yermaneta. Finally got Lakina to do it. Also, going back to the Astros series, uh, Tim Anderson didn't look good at the play. He struck out three times on Sunday, and his defense was not good either. Actually, his defense has been more than above average. Right, not lately. It's been good this season, but during that series, especially the last two games, uh, not good. Hopefully he'll he'll get it turned around. And so that was one of the main things that stuck out to me watching that series against the Astros. That that game on Friday was a heartbreaker. They should have won that game. Carlos Rodon pitched his you-know-what off. And he deserved a better result than that. But uh, Saturday's game and Sunday's game, it was just very disappointing. I wasn't uh, – in our last episode, Lakini, we, um, we were coming off of that first game of that series. I said, don't worry about it. Uh, the Sox should get back on track. But these last two games, this is the worst that, that, that I've seen them look. Uh, this season? Well, like, like I said, I, I, I wouldn't worry about it if you're the White Sox. I think, look, you're going to look at that. Look, I mean, the, the Astros, like I said, have been one of the hottest teams in the league the last month and a half. So for anyone that sort of like thought that it was going to be a big task, but like I said before, this is what happens when you're not, when you're shorthanded. You don't, you go against a team like the Astros, that looks really good. You know, look at Altuve had a great series. Mm-hmm. Bradley had a, you know, who's been a kind of a White Sox killer. Well, he had a great series for for the Astros as well. So it's just, look, unfortunately, you're going you're gonna to get these kinds of series sometimes. So I wouldn't worry too much if you're a White Sox fan. I would say just, you know, just, just you know, keep it going, burn the tape, and just move on. Yeah, and if you're the White Sox, you have no choice but to do that as you start a two-game series at Pittsburgh tonight. This is a, a team that you should be. This should be a, a quick two-game sweep. If you come out of there one-on-one or get swept, <laughs> uh, uh, things are really going to get heated going into the wrong direction if you're the White Sox. But I still got faith in this team will take care of uh, business, and then you get ready for Seattle this upcoming weekend. So you still, as of this recording, two and a half games up on Cleveland. Uh, you're, you're dominating everybody else in your division. So you still look good enough uh, a team to keep afloat. And uh, I, I believe they'll get it done, but – uh, GM Rickon has some work to do between now and the trade deadline, so you got a little bit over a month away to do that. So I believe he'll make some moves. Can he get both a big bat uh, and a, a veteran reliever uh, in, in the same tr- uh, same uh, trade or make two separate deals before July 31st? Uh, we shall see. So it's going to be an interesting about five weeks uh, leading up to the deadline. Should be very interesting. Listen to Second City Sports along with Sydney Brown. I'm Lakina McGee. Let's go to the north side for a second, Sid. Unfortunately, not a good series for the Cubs on the flip side. They actually were able to get one win, but 
They lose two out of three mm-hmm. to the Marlins. But uh, look, just kind of go back to where it was, you know, in the playoffs. You know, the the Marlins dominated the you know the hitting, and unfortunately, they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the Cubs couldn't hit. Now, you know, fortunately for that Sunday, that that rubber match, they were able to kind of muster up a win, which is which is good. And they didn't actually they didn't actually have their best hitting performance there either, but they were able to pull it off. So, Sid, what do you think? <laughs> that starting pitching did bail them out on Sunday. Shout out to Alec Mills. He had three strikeouts, but he, he shut out uh, six innings of of good ball, shut out ball of, for the Cubs. Uh, they, they took advantage of some Marlins mistakes early, and so um, that's kind of uh, what this team identity is, get enough offense, um, use great uh, starting pitching, especially we talked about their bullpen over the last month, which been lights out. And you saw them uh, crack in the first two games uh, of the series against the Marlins. Uh, they turned it around on Sunday. Uh, you, you still have uh, Callan Hendricks, who won his last uh, seven starts. Uh, he's starting to turn it around. Uh, Jake Arrieta uh, got roughed up on Saturday. He didn't look good, as we told you guys. You're not getting 2015, 2016 Arrieta anymore. So wherever you get out of him is a bonus. And so he he looked bad on Saturday. Friday's game, even though it was a rare Friday game, they didn't look good either. Uh, Zach Davies got got roughed up too. So for the Cubs, it was nice to get that win on Sunday. We know that the Marlins are not a very good team. And so it it was nice for them to uh, build morale and get back on track. I know they're playing Cleveland uh, at Wrigley Field as we speak for a quick two-game series. Uh, at the friendly confines, but the Cubs needed to get back on track as of this recording. They are tied with the Milwaukee Brewers uh, for the best record in the NL Central with with a 40 win, 32 loss mark. Uh, for the Cubs, uh, just like we talked about with the White Sox a few moments ago, uh, you brought this up looking about a week or so ago. It wouldn't hurt for the, for GM Jed Hoyer to get another uh, veteran bullpen arm, but this uh, this team. They could use another big bat, but most importantly, they could use another veteran starter. Where are you going to get that from? Arizona, Pittsburgh, maybe Colorado, but they don't have anybody as far as starting pitching is concerned. No. But but will you get Madison Bumgarner from Arizona? And will you get somebody else from another bad team? So uh, there's not too many uh, great options out there right now as as we speak, but more names could be popping up between now and July 3rd, first week since we have five-plus weeks or so until the trade deadline. But the Cubs' biggest need is that uh, they need a veteran starting pitcher. Can you count on Jake Garrietta? As we said, no, anything you get out of him is a bonus at this point. Uh, Zach Davies, can you count on him to be consistent? No. Alec Mills, it was a great performance on Sunday, doing, but can you count on him? I know you threw a no-hitter um, a, c- a couple years ago, but can you really count on him? Not now. Right now, no. Well, and, and, and I think, you know, that's the name you just mentioned. I think that's been sort of part of the problem with the pitching. Unfortunately, sorry, pitch, I should say, excuse me, has been very inconsistent. And we saw you know, Adam Duvall has been kind of like the Cubs killer, I guess. He had, what, like six RBIs during that series. They did. Yeah. He did show you. Know, Milton actually struck him out twice, you know, in the Sunday game. So that actually helps a little bit for that Cubs killer status. But uh, like you said, so, I mean, they're like, is there anybody out there that you that the Cubs can get? Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're going to want to give up a lot. And also, too, pitting, like, you got a four-row Cub right now, Kyle Schwarber. I think he has, what, like, 10 home runs in his last, like, 12 games or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can use him right now you know, for the extra hit, you know, for the Nationals. So, 
I don't know. I mean, look, I think the good news for the Cubs, like I said before, no one else has run away from the division. You know, the Brewers, they won two out of three, but again, they've had their struggles. The Reds mm-hmm. have, have lost four in a row as of this recording. Cardinals have struggled a lot lately, too. So, you know, the one good thing is that the, the good news is is the fact that everyone else in your division has lost, has been the kind of struggle. So the good news is that you're still like, at, tied at the top. So this is a perfect opportunity for the Cubs to kind of try and separate themselves because they have a pretty tough schedule, especially this mm-hmm. week. You know, you mentioned the uh, the series of the Indians you know, going on right now. They have four in Los Angeles against the Dodgers, a Dodgers team that's actually playing very well lately. Mm-hmm. They got three against the Brewers next week. Then they got three against Cincy, four against Philly, and three against St. Louis to finish up their uh, their first half of the season for the All Star break. So not a not an easy easy schedule for the Cubs by any means, but. You can kind of try to at least win some of these series, so or and split the four games, so that way you can at least sort of like be still be leading your division by the time the All Star break happens. Yeah, you just have to keep winning series if you're the Cubs. So just keep treading water. In a, in an ideal world, you you want to separate yourself from Milwaukee and St. Louis, but as we we said. Uh, throughout the season, uh, this division is going to come down to the perhaps the last day of the season. These teams are too they're not great, but they're they're good they're good, but they're not great enough to separate from anybody. Whoever catches a hot streak is going to be the one that's going to win this division. Uh, is this Cubs team uh, good enough to get on a hot streak? Of course, they had the best record in the National League uh, in the month of May. They kind of struggled here in June, but they still have another hot streak or, or two left in them, I, I believe. But it's had to uh, come down to uh, starting pitching, and some of those superstars are going to have to step up, like Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Jason Hayward, and Jack Peterson, who's been having a great two-week stretch. Some of those uh, uh, guys will have to step up, too, but uh, the some of the supporting cast members have, have been uh, carrying you, like Patrick Wisdom, Ian Happ, uh, and, and Duffy uh, for those stretches there. But your superstars are going to have to step up. No doubt about it. And I think if you want to, like I said before, if you want to hang out to that league in the National League Central, I think the Cubs, like you made names you mentioned, they're going to have to, everyone's going to have to step up. And the good news is, is that everyone's mm-hmm. kind of had their turn, but everybody needs to step up at the exact same time. Yep. Uh, so let's uh, quickly before we move on. What was your best and worst from Major League Baseball from this past weekend? Oh gosh. <clears throat> hmm. There, there, there actually were, sure a lot of like really good, um, you know, stuff that happened this week in the uh, in baseball. I mean, it was sort of like I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, Sid, but there was like so many sort of really interesting things. Um, the Yankees actually threw another triple play. It's their third. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. you know, on Sunday, on Sunday, I should say, against the A's, and it's their third triple play that ties for the most in, in Major League history. And they went two out of three in that series, and that was a much-needed uh, serious w- win for them because they need to kind of stay within distance of the AL East. So they definitely needed that. Desperately. Um, the Indies actually play very well. They're only two and a half back from the White Sox, so they better, you know, White Sox better watch themselves as far as the Indians are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, look, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. I've got to worry about them. Yeah, Walker Buell almost had a no-hitter on Saturday. I was watching some of that, but uh, it, uh, that got negated in the eighth inning. 
so like you mentioned, the Dodgers are very, uh, very good right now. They, sw- uh, they swept the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, they almost gave the game away on, on Sunday, but uh, the, the bullpen came and shut it down. So, you, you, so the Dodgers are doing what they're supposed to do, de- beating the teams they're supposed to beat. So the Dodgers, they're not going away. I know the San Francisco Giants had their, um, had their issues uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies. Also, too, the San Diego Padres. Now, mm-hmm. this is going to be a tough stretch for them because I was watching that game on Saturday as the White Sox were getting their butts kicked. <laughs> I was watching the, the San Diego-Cincinnati um, broadcast. They, they were on Fox at the same time via my computer. Fernando <laughs> <laughs> Tatis Jr. Uh, uh, was injured again yeah. in that fifth inning, but his replacement, Kim, uh, hit that two-run home run in the bottom of the eighth inning. And of course, that, that was part of, part of a win that, Eventually ended up in a series sweep for the Padres. Uh, during that game, I don't know if you watched. Uh, you probably missed this, Lakina. During the beginning of the game on Saturday, Joey Votto was arguing balls and strikes, and uh, the whole play umpire threw him out. There was a young Cincinnati fan that uh, first it was an idiot Padres fan that was trying to yeah. get in on the action, and he got thrown <clears throat> out. Thank goodness, buddy. No one came to see you. Go sit your ass down. <laughs> we came to see the players play. You as a fan, I don't care how much you pay for the ticket. Sit your butt down, behave yourself like a civil citizen, and watch the game. No one came to see you, buddy. Get your ass out of here. Mm-hmm. Excuse my language. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, there was a young Cincinnati Reds fan that came uh, to see Joey Votto play. Of course, Votto got ejected on Saturday night. But the next day, uh, Votto came up to the little girl and gave a uh, gave a uh, autographed uh, baseball. And so I thought, and that was trending all over social media. So I thought. Uh, there was a, a great moment for Mr. Vado in to uh, to surprise that young fan. We always talk about the the players, uh, the it's figures they uh, do stupid stuff, grabbing headlines as far as uh, being negative. But uh, for doing something positive, we should give them credit as well. So I wanted to take time out to uh, do my part and get positive uh, action to these athletes. Like I said, we give them hell for doing stupid stuff. We should give them credit for doing great stuff on the flip side. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's unfortunate that those things don't get as much attention as the bad stuff. So if something like that happens, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's, it's a great thing. Another bad thing I saw, the Rays, they've lost six in a row. There's just, I don't, I think it's because the injuries are starting to catch up with them. And now they're a half game back over the Red Sox when they were leading the division. Mm-hmm. And now the Yankees are nipped at their heels too. So not a good look for the Rays at this point. You know, the injuries, like I said, are starting to kind of, creep up to them but uh yeah I mean mm-hmm. look I mean look the Astros of course you know four of those seven of their seven straight wins have been at the white we're at the White Sox suspense so you know unfortunately but you know mm-hmm. again you got to give them props it's between them and the A's and that AL West that's going to be a very interesting division too as we get closer and closer the AL East is going to get very interesting too I mean no one's going to run away with that division I think it's going to be interesting who you know who you know makes some moves the Braves, you know, they're trying, you know, they're, they're trying to kind of, you know, inch their way back up. So hopefully maybe they'll start mm-hmm. to get it together as well. So definitely a mixed bag in, in, in Major League Baseball this weekend. Yeah, a couple of the quick notes uh, from baseball before we move on. Uh, you mentioned the Atlanta Blaze, Braves. Uh, their game Saturday was right now, so they played the split doublehead on Sunday and split those two games against the St. Louis Cardinals. Boston, I checked out some of that series against Kansas City. They lost two out of three in uh, in in Missouri, so Kansas City's they still hanging around. 
uh, a couple of games below 500. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, they took care of business against the Baltimore Orioles. I did watch some of that game on Saturday. They were down uh, by three runs in the ninth inning. Uh, they scored five runs uh, during that inning, uh, especially those five runs with two outs remaining. Baltimore, as we told you guys, they're one of the worst teams in baseball. They're going to struggle. And so Toronto took advantage of that. Of course, they finished off the series on uh, last Sunday. So we told you guys Toronto, they're a good team offensively. Just that starting pitching is what I'm worried about. But they're, because of their offense, they're going to hang around in the AL East rest, West. Uh, sorry, the AL East race, I should say. Mm-hmm. Even though I did pick them as my AL wild, wild card winner. <laughs> and I think this, they can still do that, though. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I'm not too worried about the Blue Jays. Like I said before, their pitch is sort of like going to – if anything, it kind of deters them from taking the next step right now is their pitching. They're pitching, so their hitting's fine. They got, you know, they got the hitting down to a top, to a science, but it's the pitching. They need to step up their pitching. Hopefully, they'll be able to do that in the next couple of years. Although they got, they got a lot of room in the salary cap to play around mm-hmm. with, so to do just that. Okay, and taking a look at the series, there, there will be. Uh... That are taking place for this upcoming week. You have Cincinnati and Minnesota. Of course, the White Sox at Pittsburgh to face the Pirates. Houston at Baltimore to take on the Orioles. Kansas City will travel to New York to take on the New York Yankees as they turn it around lately. The Washington Nationals, as Lakina Mitchell with Kyle Schwarber's three home run performance last Sunday against the Mets, they'll travel to Philadelphia to take on the Phillies. Of course, the Braves and the Mets are doing battle uh, uh, from City Field in Queens, New York. Speaking of the Red Sox, they'll travel to Tampa to face the Rays. This should be an interesting series. St. Louis will travel to Detroit to take on the Tigers in the interleague battle. Uh, another interleague battle is the Blue Jays will face the Miami Marlins. Of course, the Indians, the Cubs are doing battle as we speak from, from Wrigley. Oakland will travel to Texas to take on the Rangers. Uh, the Giant, San Francisco Giants and the Anaheim Angels will suddenly got hot with the injury to Mike Trout. And the Brewers and Diamondbacks will do battle from Chase Field. The Dodgers and the Padres, I'm watching every minute of this series. This will be round three between these two heavyweights in the NL West. They are doing battle in Petco Park this week. And, of course, you have the Rockies and the Mariners. So should be interesting um, uh, baseball um, uh, for this coming week. I'm looking forward to that Dodgers-Padres uh, series. No love lost between those two teams, right, Sid? I mean, that's always that's always a fun to Exactly. Like- it's kind of like that bail, that fun series that people, you know, are gravitating towards. Yes, these are two West Coast teams, but I think that, you know, hopefully <clears throat> this will get a lot of national attention. People out east will, will, will gravitate towards it. The Tampa-Boston series, that's going to be very interesting, too. Like I said, Tampa's had a lot of injuries right now. They haven't been playing very well. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if Boston kind of puts some distance between themselves and the Rays in that AL East. All right. You're listening to Second City Sports along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown as we now transition over to the NBA playoffs. We know that the uh, conference finals are taking place. We'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll get to that on, in our second segment. But when we last uh, had our uh, last episode, a couple of series um, were still going on. We'll review last Friday's uh, Western Conference uh, semifinal matchup between the Utah Jazz and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers finally get to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in their 50-year history of their franchise. They defeated the Utah Jazz 131-119. to Donovan Mitchell led Utah with 39 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. Terrence Mann led the Clippers with a personal career high of 39 points. Uh, Lakina, 
the, the Clippers were trailing by 25. And, I, and as, at halftime, I said, it's going to be tough. I don't know if they, they can do it, but uh, they outplayed Utah in that second half. Uh, Terrence Mann, I just mentioned, with a career-high 39 points, he took over the game PG-13. Paul George finally showed up again. Uh, the Clippers had the momentum. Uh, Utah, uh, they turned the ball over down the stretch. Uh, they couldn't hit shots. And so the Clippers earned that game six victory because if they didn't win that game last Friday, it was no way in hell they were going to win a game seven at Utah. Oh, no, it was that wasn't happening. And, uh, Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, you got to look. You got to give the Clippers props. I mean, I saw, I watched that game from start to finish, and once you know the Jazz were up twenty five at halftime, I was like, oh, there's no way. There's no way the Clippers were going to be able to pull this out. And sure enough, mm-hmm. they did just that. And you know, Terrence Man. I mean, I think the most he scored over over when he was playing at Florida State was like thirty. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, that 39 points was a personal career high for him. You know, he stepped up. Marcus Morris Sr. stepped up. I mean, look, all the role players stepped up for with PG. And we actually saw a little bit of the playoff PG that we thought that we've been waiting for the last five or six years. So just a, yeah. great, just a great all-around performance by them. And, and look, I think the Jazz, you know, look, you, look, you can tell that Donovan Mitchell was not 100% with that ankle injury. You know, those guys that <clears> – <throat> Excuse me, I stepped up to hit those three pointers. It wasn't fault. They weren't falling for them for them in the second half. And look, they were able to, you know, get back into it and they were able to kind of they were able to catch up and win it. And look, I think that the Jazz are kind of at a crossroads right now. You know, we'll see what side what direction they go. They're gonna go during the offseason. Mm-hmm. It's definitely gonna be something to look out for. But as far as the Clippers, I mean look, Reggie Jackson had 27. You know, he stepped mm-hmm. up a lot during these playoffs. And just, just you know, just an impressive all-around, you know, comeback performance by them. And it just, you know, they should definitely be commended for it. Also, to Chicago's very own Patrick Beverly had three big three-point shots uh, during the last five, six minutes of that fourth quarter to put it away. So let's give him credit as well. As we said uh, in our last few episodes, it's going to take a team effort for the Clippers. You don't know if Kawhi is going to come back. I know it's not safe to assume, but – uh, if you the Clippers, assume that Kawhi is done, not just for uh, – uh, assume that he's done for the rest of the playoffs. So you're going to have to uh, have guys like Patrick Beverly and Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann step up. Head coach Teron Lua, uh, he's, he's used just about everybody on his roster. So as we said before, by game three, uh, uh, each team knows what the other team is going to do. You're not running any exotic plays. You're not surprising anybody with any um, – silly scheme so it's just about who executes uh the best who executes the most down the stretch but ty ryan lou uh, the head coach of the clippers uh he's doing a tremendous job whoever you see fits in there he's going to play we talked about playoff rondo he's had some play in the last six seven games so we'll see if he gets some run uh, during these rest of the conference finals like i said we're we'll review game one of that series to preview game two uh, on the flip on the flip side but for this game six uh the the Clippers the whole entire team uh, uh, has to be commended definitely <clears throat> excuse me definitely I mean like I said before I mean everyone stepped up the starting guys stepped up and look I mean like I said Patrick Beverly I mean look we've we've teased about him but you know look he has some big shots and look I think the also too I think the uh, the, the three-pointer just abandoned Utah in the second half and you know I think they were Mm-hmm. Oh, be quiet, you. Uh, yeah, sorry about that, folks. But yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, the three-point <laughs> shot just the three-point shot just abandoned him. Gobert got into some foul trouble, so he wasn't much help either. So mm-hmm. it, it just you know it all kind of you know the stars kind of aligned for the Clippers, if you will. Yeah, so the Clippers uh, earned that Game Six victory against against Utah Jazz, and they're facing the, the Phoenix Suns right now in the Western Conference Finals. We'll get to that on the flip side of, on this show. Uh, Lakina, now let's go to Saturday last Saturday night's uh, instant classic playoff game between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. Of course, uh, the the Brooklyn Nets will be sitting at home. Why you you ask? Because they lost to the Bucks in Game Seven, one fifteen to one eleven. Kevin Durant scored forty eight points, grabbed nine rebounds, and dished out six assists. Giannis Antetokounmpo, aka the Greek Freak, led Milwaukee with forty points, thirteen rebounds, and five assists. Lakina, let's address the elef- elephant in the room. Kevin Durant tied it in the fourth quarter. Uh, with the everybody thought it was a three-point shot, but both his toes were on the line, so they counted as a two. That was a great job by the instant replay folks. But in overtime, uh, the Brooklyn Nets were traveling by two, 113-111. Kevin Durant pulled up for a three-point shot. You could tell fatigue was in everybody, especially in that overtime. Durant took a bad shot. Brooklyn had one timeout left, mm-hmm. and you didn't take it. That doesn't make any any sense to me. I know people are going to say, well, Steve Nash is a rookie head coach. He's learning on the fly and blah, blah, blah. That was inexcusable. I'm sorry. They should have taken a timeout of you. Given Kevin Durant a rest, you would have drawn up a better play. And who knows? Somebody else would have, would have tried to uh, hit a big shot. But uh, to be disorganized like that, that that's just a, uh, a mental blunder. That should not be excused. That, that, the net, the net should have called the timeout there, and you would have had a better play set up by, instead of uh, an air ball three-point. That just, that just didn't make any sense to me. Well, and also, too, remember, they, were like, they had like about six or seven possessions where they, they came up empty. They were up by like mm-hmm. four points, and they could have just <clears> – they could have went for the knockout punch, and that whole thing would not even have been an issue. People forget mm-hmm. about that, too, so – and also, too, like you said, you know, Harris missed some key shots. You know, he missed a three-pointer three that probably could have, you know, ended up sealing the victory for them, for the Nets. You know, that's mm-hmm. what you pay him to do. Um, Griffin found out, unfortunately. You can tell Harden, you know, was trying, but you can tell that he was starting to wear down. Bruce, you know, Bruce Brown, you know, missed some key shots. Jeffrey hit some, you know, missed some key shots late. Mm-hmm. So, look, you want to – of course, you want to give the Bucks all the – you know, all the props in the world, but you can tell that the Nets were, you know, un, you know, undermanned and just, you know, shorthanded. And like you said, Sid, that, that timeout, they could have set something up. A lot of people say, well, you know, Nash mm-hmm. probably didn't want to, he didn't want the, the Bucks to, you know, to set up a defense. Well, that's, look, you can tell that, that Durant was gassed. KD was totally gassed, mm-hmm. just completely gassed. Yeah. You can tell. And just imagine, you had seven seconds, a little over seven and a half, 7.6 seconds left. You could have mm-hmm. you know, given him a couple of minutes minutes to rest, you know, to rehydrate, you know, get some Gatorade in them. And then maybe you could have set something up a good, sh- you know, a, a, a decent play. And look, if he, you know, if he was, you know, double teamed or whatever, you know, somebody like a Harris or a Brown or maybe a Harden could have hit a three-pointer or something, could have hit a shot or something. So there's so much play to go around. And, and look, I'm not, look, I, yes, you give the Bucks their props, but again, you know, the, the what if Kyrie hadn't gotten hurt tweets. And posts, you know, you saw a lot of those. 
And like, unfortunately, that's going to be sort of like the asterisk here because of the fact that the Nets mm -hmm. were shorthanded. Yeah, the Nets still should have won this series, even without Kyrie. They were the better team. You, you, you saw that differently through the first uh, two games. Remember those first two games where the Nets went up to nothing? They were playing without James Harden, so uh, I see where people go with that. But the, uh, but the, the Nets, uh, they, they, they gave it away. Now, on the flip side, Milwaukee uh, did what they had to do. P.J. Tucker, we know him and Durant had their issues, obviously, on the court uh, throughout this series. But P.J. Tucker, in 30 minutes of action before he fouled out, he had a total of 11 big points. Giannis Antetokounmpo, as I mentioned, scored uh, 40 points. But Chris Middleton carried that 38-point performance from Game 6, and he had 23 points in Game 7. Brooke Lopez stepped up with, with 19 points. Drew Holiday, uh, he didn't have a great shooting game, but he had 13 big points as well. So Milwaukee, even though uh, they only had nine points off their bench, uh, their key guys, the, the, their supporting cast that – that's supposed to help out Giannis. They did what they had to do down the stretch uh, while Brooklyn uh, came up short and they were gassed. Both teams were gassed, but Milwaukee had enough uh, left in the tank. Well, at least the, the Bucks bet scored nine points. The Nets bet scored zero. Zero bet. Exactly. <laughs> None. Zilt. So, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, look, the Lopez had that key block. You know that the, from Durant mm -hmm. so that would have you know probably yeah. would have tied it. So you know, give him some his props too. So look, you know, stepped up when he needed to. Drew Holiday stepped up when he needed to. Middleton hit some big shots. So yeah, you know, you give look, you give a nice you know applause to the Bucks. But again, you know, you know the Nets were shorthanded, so you really can't give him too much credit. Yeah. So congratulations to the Milwaukee. Bucks. Uh, they'll be moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals for the second time in three years. They will take on the the Atlanta Hawks because the Atlanta Hawks went went into Philadelphia uh, last Sunday and defeated the 76ers by the score of 103 to 96 in Game Seven of that series. Trey Young struggled. Uh, uh, only he had 21 points, but he struggled shooting uh, from the field. He, he's playing with a bad shoulder as we speak. Kevin Herter. Well, was the big man for the Atlanta Hawks. He scored 27 points, grabbed seven rebounds. Joel Embiid for the Sixers scored 31 points, grabbed 11 rebounds. Lakina, uh, as, as we said before, uh, big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. And the Philadelphia 76ers, including Embiid, struggled down the stretch, turning the ball over, missing close-in shots. On the flip side for the Atlanta Hawks, as I mentioned, Trey Young didn't have a great shooting night, but it was his point cast that really carried, carried the Hawks through a tough environment to earn that Game 7 win on the road. You told me that Kevin Herter, the former red, the redhead from Maryland, would be the one that would be leading the score for the Hawks in Game 7. I would look at you like you were crazy. And he exactly. <laughs> And look, I mean, he, you know, he was 10 for 18 from the field and just, you know, just an amazing job. And but that's not even a career high, believe it or not. Yeah, I think it's like 32 or something. That's his career high, but definitely a playoff mm -hmm. high for him. You know, Trey Young had his issues. You know, he was only five for 23, but like you said, they, mm -hmm. you know, Capella stepped up. I mean, yeah. Gallinari, John Collins. Yeah, John Collins. Look, John Collins. I mean, look, if you had told me John Collins would be a, a big factor in game seven, I would have thought you were crazy too. Gallinari. <laughs> Look, Gallinari had 17 off the bench, so you know, it, it's crazy. The brother with a bad mohawk, even though his hair is growing back. Yeah, I just had to say that. It's starting to fill out a little bit. It's starting to fill out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, just, uh, just you know, the supporting cast for 
for the Hawks. He'll definitely, you know, pick up the slack. And also, too, Nate McMillan. I mean, to think that just you know, about this time last year, he was getting fired by the Pacers. And look mm-hmm. at him now. So, and also, too, it was actually, you know, he took over as head coach, you know, earlier in the season. So, just, you know, major yeah. props to him. And on the flip side for Philly, I mean, look, Ben Simmons, five points. Really? Really? <laughs> really? <clears throat> really? You know, the, he the shot part. two or four from the field. <laughs> I know, right? Come on. You know, Matthias, Matisse the ball. I mean, look, people thought y'all were, you were better than Patrick Williams this season. Really? Uh, you know, only eight points. You know, Shake Milton only two points. I mean, George Hill only three. I mean, come on. This is, you know, this is absurd. I mean, you can't put it all on Doc Rivers. I know, I'm sure there are going to be some people that are going to want to blame him. But remember, folks, I mean, a lot of these guys were still there. A lot of these guys were there when, you know, Doc came along. And, look, Embiid had his issues, but other guys had to step up. You know, Seth Curry did his best. He had 16, but, you know, he missed some key shots late. And like you said, the turnovers mm-hmm. is just it, – it was just bad all around for Philly. And the Hawks definitely deserved to win the series. I don't know if you caught the post-game um, comments from Doc Rivers. Or I forgot who it was the, uh, the reporter that asked him, do you think Ben Simmons is a point guard for a championship team? Uh, he said, I'm just paraphrasing here, he said, right now we don't know. And I get why he's doing that because, one, he wants to support Ben Simmons publicly. But, number two, you know that Philadelphia is going to try to trade him his, this summer. And so you don't want to trash, excuse the expression, trash your best asset if you think you're going to try to trade him. Now, I, I saw some stuff on social media for the last 24 to 48 hours, and I was listening to uh, some Philadelphia sports radio yesterday, and then they were talking about um, trading Ben Simmons and who gets the blame. Yes, Doc gets some of the blame, but the, the majority of the blame goes on the players, and, and Ben Simmons in particular. You've been in the league four, five full seasons. You cannot develop a decent jump shot. You cannot shoot free throws. That, that is inexcusable. He's a hell of a playmaker, but you have no offensive game to speak of. How are you going to survive in this league? If you're Philadelphia and GM Daryl Morey, uh, I know Elton Brand is still up there now helping them. They're working side by side now. Remember, Elton Brand tried to trade him two years ago. We talked about it on the, on the show. Mm-hmm. And upper management said, no, you know why? Because this time two years ago, they gave Ben Simmons that max deal. Now you're trying to trade him with that max deal. Uh, I'm sure there's some teams that will want to take him, but if you're Philadelphia, are you going to get fair value for him back? I don't know. As you guys know, we talked about this before, GMs and scouts watch the same games you and I watch and the fans watch. Uh-huh. And you can't, pull, you can't pull a a a rug over their eyes. And so that's why I bring up the question, do you um, trade Brent Simmons? If you're Philadelphia, you sh- you're going, I would say yes. But are you going to get very fair value for him? Is Ben Simmons a true point guard? No. Is he a playmaker? Yes. And I saw then this is what I wanted to get to. Uh, I saw this on social media for the last 24, 48 hours. Do you try to trade him for Damian Litter? Give up a couple of first round picks? <laughs> no. Oh, do you that in a perfect world? I think it will work, but I don't think if you're Portland, you're going to do that. If you're Port- if you're Portland, whoever you know, whoever the new coach is going to be, do you really want to see if you can take your chance at somebody like that? I, exactly. I yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. Also, two, two first-rounders, uh-uh. You're not going to be able to do that. So I saw, I saw some people say maybe the Bulls should try and maybe 
Get him up. No, I, I'm sure. Look, if you're as we said on our last episode, stop it. <laughs> well, look, if you're look, if you're Arturis Karnishovic, do you really want to take a chance with that contract too? No. <laughs> no, you're not gonna want to do. It. And he's not an actual point guard. Everyone keeps preaching that this team is a point guard. Sims is not a real point guard, folks. He's not. And unfortunately, like you said, Sid, he hasn't been able to. He's been in the league all these years. He hasn't been able to. to develop a decent jump shots and perhaps maybe have better at shooting free throws, hoping that maybe his finesse and playmaking, that can only get you so far in this league. So he needs to kind of develop that and look good luck trying to, you know, trying to trade that con- that contract feeling because you're not going to be able to, you, know, you might, you might be able to find a suck. I mean, a suck, I mean, another team to, to do that, but <laughs> you know, I, good luck. That's all I got to say to y'all. Good luck trying to do it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I think Philadelphia will try to trade Ben Simmons, but like you said, uh, asked, but as, as we asked, are you going to get fair value for him, and, and, and especially with that contract? I don't think so. We, you may have to get a third team involved, which I doubt that's going to happen. But I think they missed the market train Ben Simmons. I know that there there were reports out there before uh, the this season that. Uh, it was a deal on the table to bring James Harden over to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons. Uh, that trade was next by the Houston Rockets. Of course, Harden was traded by the traded to the Brooklyn Nets uh, days later. But I think Philadelphia missed the boat and trading Ben Simmons. You could try this summer, but if you find a fair deal, bless your heart. But I don't know if they're going to find that deal. I just don't think they're going to be able to find a, a fair value for him. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, going back to uh, what I said uh, just a couple of minutes ago, if you're if you're Portland, if you're starting over, maybe you take a deal like that for Ben Simmons and get a, a get a first round, maybe two first round picks from Philadelphia. But if you're still trying to hang on to to keep Damian Lillard, perhaps make another run, no, of course you're not going to do that deal. So uh, it's a catch twenty two. You 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 damned if you do, damned if you don't. So. In your Philadelphia, you're in a tough position right now. We talk about the Bulls here in Chicago being in mediocrity. If you Philadelphia, the window has been wide open for you for the last couple of seasons. And this is the, uh, the second time in three seasons that bowed out in the second round. And I, in my opinion, you had a better team to use ago when you had Jimmy Butler. But since you couldn't stand Jimmy Butler, you let him go to the Miami Heat. Yeah. And look where you are at now. Look where, look where he is, too. So, yeah. Come on now. All right. <clears throat> so. That wraps up our first segment of Second City Sports. We still got a lot to do, though, still, Sid, because we're going we're gonna to talk about the conference, the conference finals. You know, the first game of the, conf- the Western Conference finals have already played in a breakout performance by one of their stars from that conference finals between the Clippers and the Suns. We'll break down the Bucks and now Hawks Eastern Conference finals and also, to some history made over at Torrey Pines in the U.S. Open. And a big ruling that could, could change the way college athletes are compensated. You listen to the Second City Sports along with, along with Cindy Brown. I'm Lakini McGee. We'll catch you on the flip side. Welcome back to Second City Sports Zoom style. Zoom style. Along with Lakina McGee, I'm Sydney Brown. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter and the IG at CK80. Once again, at CK80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. S-I-D-K-I-D-80. And you can follow me at Keena McGee on the Twitter and at Keena underscore McGee on the IG. You can follow this podcast, Second City Sports, 
first on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at WARR Media. You can follow the podcast, the audio version of this program at War on Anchor. Once again, at WARR on Anchor. We're available on all podcast platforms. You can go to our website, weallregalradio.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at WARR Media. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you very much for your support. Like, share, subscribe, and tell your friends. Yes, let's continue the fun as we talk about the NBA playoffs. Let's go to the Western Conference Finals first. Lakina, game one between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Phoenix Suns took place last Sunday. Uh, game one goes to the Phoenix Suns, who are, are without Chris Paul. Of course, on the flip side, the Clippers are without Kawhi Leonard. Game one was, was close at the end, but the Phoenix Suns dominated throughout. Devin Booker led the Suns with a personal career high, 40 points. The series high, it was just one game, but Devin Booker led the Suns with 40 points, 13 rebounds, and 11 assists for a triple-double. Paul George led the Clippers with 34 points, 4 rebounds, and 5 assists. Lakina, what stuck out to me was it was a total team effort from the Suns, as we'll talk about the role players in, in just a moment. The, the Suns, um, their role players came through. Devin Booker took charge, led the way for the Clippers. You could tell fatigue will start to set in with them, even though they, they played last Friday to close out the Jazz in an emotional uh, uh, comeback series where it takes all the energy uh, out of you uh, coming back from 25 points to close out of the series, which they did. But you could tell fatigue, uh, both physically and emotionally, was setting in. Uh, for the Clippers. They fought back hard, made it a game at the end, but the Phoenix Suns, uh, the, the way I watched game one, they were in total control from start to finish. Yeah, they hung on for a while, the Clippers did, but like you said, Sid, you can tell. <laughs> Look, you come back from 25 points down, that could, it takes a lot out of you, both physically and mentally. So, and as mm -hmm. the game went on with the Suns, you kind of felt that fatigue, you know, was starting to set in. But, look, Devin Booker just, you know, became, you know, was becoming a superstar right before our eyes. He became just a fourth player mm -hmm. to lead both teams outright in points, rebounds, and assists in the conference or slash division finals game. <clears throat> Joining in guys like LeBron, Larry Bird and Bill Russell. Of course, he's you know, the first sons to do that, but just amazing what he's you know he's been doing, and you know also too you know like I said we'll talk about the role players, but but you know Booker kind of picking up the slack since of course CP3 not being there because of you know COVID protocols and such. But look, I think he made some big shots late, just when you thought that the Clippers were starting to kind of catch up. You know, Booker hits a big shot to kind of slam the door on that. So mm -hmm. just an overall a, a great performance by him and a, a great overall team performance by the Suns. Yeah, breaking down the box score from the Suns, game one victory. Uh, talking about the role players, uh, Jay Crowder had 13 points in 33 minutes of action. Mikael Bridges, who's been a big surprise for the Suns this year, scored 14 points uh, in 36 minutes of action. DeAndre Aiden, he's still continuing to – Build up his resume as the second-year man out of Arizona. In 37 minutes of action, he scored 20 points, grabbed nine rebounds. Campaign! That's right, <laughs> folks, for you Bulls fans that's listening and watching this. Uh, we can blame Jim Borland all we want to, but um, campaign, for, for whatever reason, didn't fit here. We thought that his NBA career was over. He says no. He found the, uh, the, the right situation in Phoenix. Uh, in game one, he had... 11 points off of 5 of 10 shooting in 29 minutes of action. Coming off the bench for the Suns, Etwan Moore. Uh, he didn't do anything, but, you, but you know, he's been important for them all, uh, all season long. Dario Saric, 
scored two points in 11 minutes of action, but it was it was uh, Cameron Johnson that carried the torch for the Phoenix Suns bench scoring 12 points. So as we, we talked about it before with the other teams, Lakina, uh, your superstars have to set the tone, but it's your role players going to have to carry you through. Like I said, a great overall performance. I mean, the Crowder stepped up. You know, Bridges have been a, a great surprise to these playoffs. Aiton's sort of, you know, reaching his potential. Like you said, Cam Johnson, you know, people, you know, a lot of folks in North Carolina remember him. <clears throat> At 12 points off the bench. Look, Etwan Moore, I mean, look, there's another name for former Bulls fans to play with, but look, he kind of mm-hmm. sort of, you know, helped kind of like be sort of like that leader since CP3 wasn't there. He's kind of, I think he's kind of, mm-hmm. I think he's sort of like one of the oldest guys on the team since CP3 is out right now. So he kind of helped, you know, with the leadership. So I think that's definitely helped, you know, the Suns, no doubt about it. And just an overall great team effort, a great, you know, coaching job by Monty Williams. Well, it should have won coach of the year, but again, that's another story for another episode. Mm-hmm. We won't go there, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, like I said, you know, they looked really good. You know, the Suns did, and we'll see if CP3 is able to play tonight. You know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Should be interesting. And uh, but look, so far they've, you know, the Suns looked really good. Now, I, look, I'm not gonna say that the series over with by any means. Look, I think the Clippers once they start having to rest a little bit, you know, we'll see. Maybe they can step up. I mean, Morris, you know, struggled. Um, DeMarcus mm-hmm. Cousins actually had his best, you know, most points you know, these playoffs with 11 off the bench. But it just wasn't, en- you know, it just wasn't enough, you know. But two only had five points. And like I said, I think a lot of that is fatigue. So they're only, t- you know, they were 20 for 47, which actually is not bad from three. But again, mm-hmm. unfortunately, they missed a lot of the key three points that would have gotten them back in the game. So, you know, just a, you know, just a, you know, like, like I said, it's the series is over with, but I think, you know, the face is definitely, you know, for right now, holding serve at home. Now, game two, as we mentioned, is tonight at 8 o'clock Central Standard Time on ESPN. Lakina, what is your keys for uh, uh, game two? I know for me, I'll take it from the Clippers side. Nicholas Batum, he's going to have to step up big. Five points is not going to get it done. Marcus Morris Sr., uh, he had a bad game one with a total of six points. That's not going to get it done either. I'm looking for those two. I'm going to set a mark here for all you legal sports betters out there. Those two, if they combine to score 20 points or more, the Clippers are going to win game two. Let me repeat it again. If Marcus Morris Sr. and Nicholas Petuna, those two combine to score 20 points or more, the Clippers will win game two. If they don't, they'll go down the hole all too quickly. I'm with you. The series is not over, but someone else is going to help out. Got to help out Paul George and Reggie Jackson. Yes, yeah, someone else got to step up. Man didn't have his best game either. He only had nine points, so hopefully he can kind of step up as well. Now, as for if you're the Suns, the important thing is that hopefully Chris Paul will be able to play game two. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> if he is able to play game two tonight, you know that's going to make a whole lot of difference. And look, I think if he can kind of like control sort of control the tempo, control the uh, – get that balance score that you've been getting from these last, you know, couple of series if you're the sun. So if you could just keep that up, I mean, you know, can't, you know, campaign keep up what he's been doing. Aiden keep up what he's been doing. Bridges, you know, doing the same thing. Get some, you know, some key points from guys off the bench. I think you can go up 2-0 if you're the Suns. And then, like I said, if your CP3 gets cleared to play, even better. Now, um, I'm keeping it on the Clippers' angle side of things. Devin Booker goes off on you for 40 points. 
for a defensive adjustment for tonight? Do you double team him every time he gets the ball? Do you disguise a special defense to try to stop him? Or do you just let him go off and try to contain some of, some of the key role players like uh, Mikael Bridges and campaign? What do you what, do to stop Booker? I think that's probably what they're going to do. I think they're going to, they know they're not probably going to be able to stop him because they did, they did have try, they did try to do that a couple of times to try to double team him. It still didn't work. <laughs> so I think if you're this, if you're the Clippers, you probably say, you know what, look, let you know, Booker, you know, score as many points as he needs as he mm-hmm. wants. And then probably just slow down Crowder, slow down Bridges, slow down Payne, slow down <laughs> Aiton, you know, just or C- uh, CP3, you know, if, if he is allowed to play. So I would say try to maybe go that route and just hope that your guys can step up. Now, who's going to be the best defender on Booker? Will it be Paul George? I don't think he's going to guard him for the whole game, but do you throw PG uh, 13 uh, to guard Booker? Do you throw out Rondo? You know, he got some run on Sunday. Do you throw um, Rondo out there? I don't know if you're going to throw Reggie Jackson out there because he's not a world's greatest defender either. So uh, who's going to uh, be that guy to uh, guard Booker the majority of the time? Oh, do we just want to do it by committee? Yeah, that's probably what they're going to do, right? I mean, so you try to get Jackson on him, maybe? Do you try to get Beverly on him? Like, it, it didn't work the, so well the first time. You know, do you try to, you know, try to you know, have Rondo be the one to try to control him? But that's going to be easier said than done. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. So mm-hmm. what about you? What about the Suns you know, on the flip side with the Suns? What do you think the other keys for them to win, you know, game two tonight? Yeah, like you mentioned, the role players are going to have to step up again, assuming that CP3 does not play. Uh, Jameson Crowder's got to uh, have that shooting touch once again. Campaign, can he bring that hustle and the energy uh, that he's been bringing throughout these whole playoffs? We know Devin Booker's going to get his. I don't know if he's going to go for 40 again. He'll try, but I don't know if he's going to uh, actually score 40. But for Phoenix, let's see also if you could establish a bigger inside game with DeAndre Ayton because uh, the uh, Zubach didn't have that great of a game on Sunday. DeMarcus Cousins, you mentioned, he scored 11 points off the bench, but can you really count on him if you're the Clippers? So far it's been no because head coach Ty Lue hasn't been playing him all that much, so – if you're Phoenix, you you try to establish a one-two punch with Booker and DeAndre Aiden because Aiden's been playing very well in these playoffs. If you can get him going early tonight, it get, gives you something to think about. You the, you view the Clippers on defense because, as we talked about before, they're going to try to have a defense or disguise a plan to stop Booker. But if you feed DeAndre Aiden, that's going to give Clippers defense much, that much more of a problem. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the key right there. <clears throat> Can the defense try to slow? Good luck trying to slow down uh, Booker because mm-hmm. that's gonna that's gonna be a very tough tough task. So, like I said, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And <clears throat> like you said, Sid, it's like, I kind of feel like this could get to the point where, like you said, well, whose role players will step up more? And I think that's gonna be the key to winning this winning this particular mm-hmm. game tonight. And if you're the Clippers, you hope that you can even the series by doing just that. Yep. So as we mentioned, game two will take place tonight in Phoenix. That's 8 o'clock Central Standard Time on ESPN. Let's go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Lakina will take place at Pfizer Forum on Wednesday. That's tomorrow. Uh, that's at 7.30 on TNT. It's between the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks. Lakina, I know uh, glancing at this matchup on people, I'm sure me, if not all of the experts are going to pick Milwaukee in five. Some part will have it in a sweep. I'm sure if you're a logical analyst like yours truly, you will pick Milwaukee in six. For what the Atlanta Hawks have done throughout these playoffs, you got to commend them 
like you mentioned in our last segment, head coach Nate McMillan took over this team for Lloyd Pierce midway through the season. He's posted a 35-15 record ever since he, he took over. Trey Young in his first playoff performance, the third-year man out of Oklahoma, he's been tremendous even though he's playing with a bad shoulder. The world players have stepped up for Atlanta. Uh, some people may call it smoke and mirrors. Maybe they'll be, be what it is after all is said and done. But right now, you have to give them the, their props. Now, Milwaukee, this is where they, they, they should be. Okay. And I know on paper they're the better team, and they survived game seven against the Brooklyn Nets, even though Brooklyn gave that game away. Mm-hmm. But Atlanta, it's not going to be as an easy series as, as people think. Okay. Atlanta, they can shoot the heck out of the ball. I know Milwaukee has a favorable matchup on paper, but Atlanta has nothing to lose. They're playing on house money. If you're Milwaukee, you can't just think that you can waltz through the Atlanta Hawks. You haven't earned a damn thing yet. Yes, you're in the Eastern Conference Finals. You got Philadelphia. You're not facing Philadelphia. You're not, and you got rid of Brooklyn. Congratulations on that. But this is where you're supposed to be, especially given the, the recent failures over the last two or three years. So you should be able to win this series, but you think you're just going to walk through the Hawks? You know, you're kidding yourself. And also, too, we want to mention that <clears throat> the four teams left, Suns, Clippers, Hawks, and Bucks. neither of those teams have won a title since the NBA-ABA merger back in 76-77. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a new champion that's going to be breaking, either going to win their first, like the Suns and the Clippers, or going to be winning mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time, like the Hawks and the Bucks. So... Well, actually, the Hawks were in a different city then, but that's, again, we talked about a couple of podcasts. The St. Louis Hawks. <laughs> yep. Oh, exactly. So, you know, and no that, folks that did not Google that. <laughs> yeah, no, we did not. So that's a – look, we, we knew that. <laughs> we knew it out of the fly. But, look, like you said, Sid, I mean, if we could get – look, if – if we could get, you know, if we could get the same Hawks team that were able to kind of take advantage of those mistakes with, you know, with the 76ers, they could probably pull off another upset here. And I think, look, I think if you're in the Bucks, I think yes, you're talking trash now, but yet you have a pretty formidable team in Atlanta. So I would not, I would advise, you know, the folks not to look past Atlanta because Atlanta has shown that they're actually a pretty good team and they're scrappy. Like you said, they're going to play the whole, like, well, no one believes in this card or no one's talking about this card. So mm-hmm. they could use that as motivation. So, <clears throat> so if you're Giannis, I think you better not take Atlanta lightly. I mean, guys like Drew Holiday, guys like Middleton, guys like Badanovich are going to have to step up for the Bucks if they want to be able to go to the, go to the, you know, the NBA finals. And look, as for the Hawks, I mean, like you said, so they're not, they're, they have nothing to lose. You know, they're, they're playing with house money, like you said. And if you're the Hawks, I mean, look, just keep doing what you're doing. Get the, get your guys to step up. You know, if, if Trey Young has the struggles like they did, like they did um, against in the, in the last series, now, again, as far as the Bucks, like I said, you know, Lopez, you're going to have to step up. P.J. Tucker's going to have to step up. Pat Kynes is probably going to have to maybe pull some shots, too. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's going to be very interesting to see what – it's going to be interesting to see, but this is going to be a better series I think people are, you know, are, are giving them credit for. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this series. It should be a fun series nonetheless. A, a couple of uh, key matches to discuss here. Uh, who guards Trey Young if you're in Milwaukee? Will you put Drew Holiday on him? Uh, I'm sure they will to at least start off the game. But do, is he your primary defender on on Trey Trey Young? Uh, will it be Pat Connington or will it be somebody else? Would you stick Giannis out there for a couple of possessions to see if he can stop Trey Young? I I, I think it will be a Holiday for the majority of the time, but. 
do you uh, do you send us a prize defender to try to start training him? Because we all know that he can go get his, even though he's playing with a bad shoulder. Uh, but but um, we assume that Drew Holiday is going to be the primary defender on Trey Young uh, in most cases. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting part, right? So, I mean, who is going to be – who's going to have that task of guarding Trey Young? Like, you, like I said, I think it will probably end up being Holiday for the most part. They, 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 may, they may try to stick Tucker in there. I don't know, but – but again, you know, because we'll see. Maybe Huntington will probably be playing more minutes. Maybe Forrest, they might try to, you know, do that to him. But it's going to be a tough task mm-hmm. to try to guard Trey Young, no doubt. So, but if they're going to be, you know, guarding him, we'll bully the door before guys like Clint Capella, guys like mm-hmm. Kevin Horner, guys like, you know, the supporting cast for the Hawks. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, if you're going to try to risk, you know, mm-hmm. Trey Young. I mean, look, look what happened. You know, you, you tried to do like the that whole thing with, you know, Trey Young and, you know, Trey Young struggled, but yet the rest of the, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of their supporting guys stepped up. So that's sort of like a double, a catch 22, if you will, you know, we'll, we'll leave, you know, the open for Collins, for Collins and for Bogdanovich and for Horner and for, you know, Gallinari, bad hair and all, are we going to be able to see Lou Williams more this series? So it's, it's all going to depend on like who, whose matchups and how this, you know, this game of chess will, will figure out because, like I have a strange feeling that the Bucks fans think that they have this series mapped up. I, I think you know people should not you know they should not you know feel that way at all. On the flip side, if you're Atlanta head coach Nick McMillan, who guards Giannis for the majority of the time? Will it be by committee or will it be by Clint Capella, John Collins? Who, who's going to guard Giannis? Or do you just say, well, let Giannis get his and maybe try to steal the playbook from the 2019 Toronto Raptors and let everybody else, uh, let's see if everybody else, his supporter can't beat you. I think they'll probably be Capella, but like you said, I think they may do the whole by committee thing. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do with this because I think, look, it's going to be hard to slow down Giannis unless you mm-hmm. actually, you know, you can catch him in a very bad game. So it's going to be sort of like one of those things where you're like, okay, if this person, okay, if this guy's going to be double teamed, you know, we'll open the door for some of the other guys like Tucker, you know, like, you know, like Drew Holiday, like guys like that. So like I said, it's all going to depend Look, the coaching is going to be, to me, it's going to be the coaching, you know, Cam Boonhoser, mm-hmm. your favorite, your favorite said Cam Boonhoser sort of like, you know, over that hump and stuff. Stop like, it! You know, <laughs> I was being sarcastic, say so relax. I know, uh, I know, I know, I know. But uh, yeah, yeah. But also too, Nick McMillan, I mean, like if he's going to sort of play around with some matchups too, sort of like, you know, switch some things up. So it all, it, like to me, I think coach is really going to be the, the factor here, I believe. Yeah, so we talked about many times before the playoffs about matchups and adjustments, who uh, who comes up with the best game and most importantly, who which play is executed. So it, it's going to be a fun series. Uh, I don't, whatever the outcome is, is not going to be easy. As you mentioned, Lakina, if, if some Milwaukee Bucks fans think that you had this wrapped up in the bag, uh, see you in two weeks in the finals, uh, you're kidding yourselves. You, you sadly mistaken uh, overlooking this Hawks team. It's not a smart thing to do. I, I would not do that if I were this, if I were a Bucks fans wouldn't be the smart thing to do because look you saw what how Knicks fans and also Sixers fans are feeling right now so do not do not take Atlanta lightly just saying all right 
<laughs> We're heading down the home stretch the last few minutes of today's episode of Second City Sports along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Lakina, I know you watched uh, some golf over the weekend along with the, some soccer. Uh, let's get to your report, first starting with the U.S. Open golf. Oh my gosh, it was a crazy Sunday at the U.S. Open. There were like eight or like eight or ten guys that had the uh, recognitions of the lead, but then you but then various guys started, you know, falling off, and you know, DeChambeau played his way out. Also, Rory played his way out of it, and you know, you know, Russell Henley kind of fell out of, uh, in a couple of holes before that. It was just like there was just like a lot of strange things that were happening all over the place. You thought that maybe. Mm-hmm. Kepka had a shot, but you know that you know he fell by the wayside too. There were just there were like I said, so there were at least like a dozen guys that probably could have had a chance to win the U.S. Open, but and unfortunately that didn't happen. So who ended up winning it? Well, it was John Rahm. He is the first Spaniard to win in 121 editions of this U.S. Open. He is the first Spaniard to win. I remember a guy rest his soul, Seve Ballesteros, had his chance a couple of times, wasn't able to do it. If you heard John Rahm's interview afterwards, he he said so that he was thinking about him because, you know, he was one of the first, you know, his first idols growing up. He has great history with that golf course in Torrey Pines in San Diego. Rob, I mean, excuse me. He won his first PGA Tour event there. He proposed to his uh, his wife, well, his girlfriend then, you know, Kelly. He was able to share that moment mm-hmm. with with Kelly and their, their, their newborn son and, you know, with his parents. Because if you guys remember, a couple of weeks back when John Ron was leading the memorial, he found out he tested positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. And he you know, lost a chance to win that tournament. He could have won that tournament easily. Got the got the all clear. He came back and was able to win birdie 17 and 18, which has never happened before at the U.S. Open. He's only the fourth guy to do that. Joining guys like Tiger, Charles Schwartz at the 2011 Masters, also too. You know, Mickelson at the 2013 Open Championship to do that. And look, and like if you listen to his um his post-presser afterwards, look, he put it all in perspective. He said, look, it wasn't fair, but I, he knew that that's what they had to do. And he said to himself, look, he lost a really good friend of his to COVID last fall. So he was able to put all that into perspective. And the fact that he was able to come back and was able to win it and kind of like clawed his way, you know, Hayes unfortunately, couldn't, you know, pull out some of the shots. And like I said, some of the other guys I mentioned, you know, just – played their way out of it. And the fact that Ron was able to kind of get in there and win. And look, it's congratulations to him. You know, he was over, he was due for a win in the major. And I'm sure it's going to be a first of many forms. Just, it was just a great, you know, fun around the U.S. Open all around. Well, of course, uh, I know the soccer is going on right now. The Euro 2020, of course, uh, is taking place this year because of last year's uh, pandemic. Did you have a chance to watch any of it? Yeah, I did. You know, they're going into sort of like finish up their opening group, you know, group play. You know, they're going into they're going to go to knockout rounds this weekend. So some of these some of these um, matches are finishing up. You know, Italy's looked really good. You know, France. You know. They had that tie with Turkey, so people were wondering, like, is there some, you know, little holes there? You know, <laughs> Netherlands looked really good. Belgium has looked really good. Um, you know, England, we'll see what they do in their um, final group match tomorrow. So, like I said, I think, you know, I think France is still a favorite, but like I said, it's a little more wide open. Like I said, Italy's looked good. The other teams I mentioned look good. Netherlands looked good. So, Switzerland, too. So, we'll see how it goes once we get to the knockout <laughs> rounds this weekend. Like I said, what, what do you think about the golf? Like, I know you watched a little more, you would have watched a little bit of it. 
Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch any of the golf. I saw the highlights uh, of it. A uh, great story by, uh, for, for, the, for the champions. Uh, so you like to see and hear about inspirational stories. Of course, many athletes come through humble beginnings in, in different situations. So it, it helps what shapes them to become great athletes and great people for, uh, for what they are. So it, 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 was a, it was a nice story. So you can't complain about that. So, you know, if you don't like a nice story, a, a nice comeback story, something's wrong with you. Just, yeah, you're just a very mean person. You listen to the second season. Exactly. You just listen to the second season. Sports as we're heading out the whole stress along with Sydney Brown. I'm McKenna McGee. And Sid, you got a story that could probably change how colleges are, you know, and amateur, amateurism is defined. I'll, I'll set this up and I'll let you take it from here. But we talked about it with the. Um, college basketball with uh, different rule changes that uh, players, if they don't, they're not happy with their player time, they can transfer almost on the spot. Of course, we talked about the retirement of uh, now former head coaches, Rory Williams and coach cave Chicago's very own from Duke. Uh, and you were seeing the change, you know, the garden college, uh, how college basketball will be ran. Uh, we, we, we know that the NCAA is a bunch of crooks and we've known that forever, but uh, there was a there, there was a ruling that came down from the Supreme Court on Monday, and I think it's going to change the way that uh, that college sports is ran. Uh, we we talked about it a couple of years ago, Lakeen, that the athletes are they're supposed to get paid now in some way, some form or fashion, and within the next couple of years or so. And and I wanted to turn over to you that uh, will will this ruling by the Supreme Court uh, change anything on that? Uh, of that, uh, will things will be will remain quote unquote status quo. I believe it when I see it, right, Sid? I mean, this is sort of one of those things. Where... <laughs> That's right. It's that question. <laughs> well, uh, look, I think the NCAA. I think they they kind of they had to figure that this was a unanimous ruling by the Supreme Court. I mean, they can't agree on what day it is, but they can agree on this, which is sort of like if you think about it, kind of the weirdest thing ever. But but I mm-hmm. think everyone agrees that this is like free, you know, free labor. It just isn't. Is not you know you know political inducing anymore. You, you can't afford to mm-hmm. have that kind of thinking. So if you look, if you look at if a, if a musician can get signed to a record label, or if a scientist if they have some big breakthrough, they could be eligible for like the Nobel Prize or something. Mm-hmm. If a, a, a literature major can be eligible for the Pulitzer Prize, there there's no and get some money from that. There's no way that an athlete who is playing. You know, whatever sport, you know, football, basketball, baseball, softball, volleyball, you know, what have, lacrosse, what have you. There's no way that these guys and gals should not have a chance to, you know, make some money off their likeness. And mm-hmm. it's long overdue. And I feel like, you know, again, well, I'm sure that somebody's going to try to, you know, try to finesse their way out of this. But <laughs> I'm hoping that, you know, they can kind of try. But there needs to be some new leadership there. Mark Everett is not, mm-hmm. uh-uh. he's someone who's more progressive and just, he just needs to go. So it'll be interesting to see how this, you know, where this goes from here. But like you said, Sid, I mean, how much will this change? You know, how are they going to, is, is you know, they going to try to put a cap on how much money can be made off their likeness? So I, I just, I, I, you know, again, I, it's one of those days where I'm happy for the ruling, but I'll believe it when they, they actually take it into effect. Here's the thing. We talked about this before. Uh, we know that all these schools, especially in these Power Five conferences, you know, Big Ten, Big Twelve, Pac-12, uh, I know I'm, uh, the Big East, uh, the Atlantic Ten, 
um, especially for not just basketball, but for, mostly for football, they get all this money from the uh, the four major networks: um, ESPN, Fox, CBS, NBC. If you're Notre Dame, well, independent for football, uh, it it pays for the program. Of course, the majority of the kids that's gonna re- that's gonna receive that money if this is done right are the football and the basketball players. It depends on what school they go to. But my worry is, maybe this is just wishful think, think, thinking on my part, but how are these schools in the NCAA going to div, uh, divvy up that money fairly? Are going to div, divvy that money up fairly? And how is it going to trickle down to the other sports like tennis and golf and swimming? Because let's be honest, I'm not saying those other sports are not important, but they don't generate as much revenue as football and basketball. And it depends on what schools you go to. So, how are those athletes going to divvy up? Uh, are they going to receive any of that money or not at, at all? Of course, let's be honest here. They're not going to receive as much as a football or the basketball player. I know it stinks for those that want equality, but the way it is, more interest is drawn to football and basketball first. It, the way the system's set up right now, the money that's generated, generated uh, with these major universities like I'm just throwing it out there, like University of Texas and Michigan, football and basketball generates the most money. It pays the bills, not just for those programs for football and basketball, but it trickles down to the golf team, swimming, gymnastics, and so on and so on. But will those at let's hate to say it, those, and I'm using this term respectfully for lack of a better term, will those second class athletes, will they, how will they benefit, if not at all, besides just their programs being kept on campus for another year? I think that's the thing that's going to need to be figured out, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. The fact that you've got these secondary schools, the, the Olympic sports, if you will, and I think that's going to be yeah. kind of like the thing where are they going to be able to kind of do just that? Are, are the, the swimming mm-hmm. and diving teams and the gymnastic teams and stuff like that, those type of sports, are they going to kind of be, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. sort of like, are they going to be used as sort of like the fall people, if you will? So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I just, <laughs> I, I just for the life of me, I just can't figure out how the NCAA can't just come down and use common sense. We know with big corporations uh, in, in any industry, common sense goes out the window, except when you want to try to cut your losses. Okay, but for the if you're the NCAA, this shouldn't be hard to figure out. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, look, I think Jay Billis has been a champion of this for ever, ever since he was in college over at Duke. So he's been a big champion of this. So, look, I don't know what's like. Um, look, he said that, look, they're going to, it's always good. Like I said, they're going to try to finesse their way out of this. We'll see what they do. We'll see if they're going to try to put the cap on how much money that they can be made during for the likeness. So I, I just, at this point, who knows? But there needs to be some new leadership at the NCAA, though. I just think that's yeah. that's sort of like the thing. That's kind of like the really the big thing. There needs to be some new leadership. I couldn't agree with you more. A couple of other notes before we close out, Lakina. It was announced on Monday that the Olympics, for, uh, which will be set for for July twenty third next month in in uh, Tokyo, Japan, they're only going to allow up to ten thousand local citizens to attend these events. I'm assuming they're going to get vaccinated. I'm not sure, but there, there was, of course, we talked about this back in March that uh, any other um, fans that want to attend these games, they were they're banned. So no one else outside 
uh, Tokyo can attend these games. So it's going to be up to 10,000 local fans that, that attend these events for these uh, Olympics next month. And so that, that news came out on Monday. I want to get your quick uh, thought on that. Yeah, yeah, I saw that earlier. Um, like, there have been a lot of division, like I said, in Tokyo, where not to even have these games. You know, they're going to do it behind, mm-hmm. they might do it behind closed doors. They may just, they're keeping it local spectators up to only 50% mm-hmm. and cap it at about 10,000. And I'm assuming that a lot of them are going to be vaccinated. So mm-hmm. I, I just don't know. I mean, I know there have been a lot of, you know, division in Japan about even whether or not to have these games. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're going to limit it to like 10,000 people, you know, they're not going to be able to, you know, yell or scream. They'll be able to clap, but they're not going to be able to yell or scream. So mm-hmm. it's just like, okay. <clears throat> the, but then they may, they may go, no, no spectators. So I don't know. And like I said, come hell or high water, NBC played it, paid a lot of money to get these games. So come hell or high water, they're going to try and get these games going. So they're going to make sure these games happen. So for people who have been, were hoping that maybe they might, they may cancel the games, that's not happening. Yeah, we said this before. This is not going to happen. There's too much money involved, not just with NBC here in the United States, but uh, the ILC, even though they're a bunch of crooks too, it's all about money with them at the end of the day. So like you said, unless it's a natural disaster, heaven forbid that happens, these games will go on. So uh, we talked about this before in a couple of episodes ago. It's going to be interesting with the time difference of what, what uh, uh-huh. with the Peacock service that they have in terms of NBC Universal and what they're going to show in prime time. Uh, you cannot stop everything, especially with social media. We saw this in, in the last two Olympics, 2012 and 2016. You, uh, in, uh, you can't control everything, so people are going to find out about key events which will be taking place during the day or during the, the night, whichever it is, whether it's night over there, day here, and vice versa. So uh, it's going to be interesting how the, uh, the NBC covers this. Yeah, and of course, you know, they got the Peacock app now, so they may say, hey, you can watch it on Peacock if you want, if you don't want to wait for the primetime coverage, so that's probably what they mm-hmm. might do. They might just say, hey, watch it on the Peacock app, so we'll see how, how that goes with the Peacock yeah. app, because that's probably where they're going to be a lot of their prime, their prime time stuff's probably going to be if you want to watch it live. Mm-hmm. And one more quick note for those of you listening and watching in the Chicagoland area, the Chicago White Sox are, are opening up Sox Park. I'm not, of course, I'm not calling it that corporate name get over it. <laughs> They'll be uh, uh, opening up to 100% full capacity this coming Friday. I guess the, they'll take on the Seattle Manors. You know where to go to get tickets. We don't have to tell you how to and where to go get tickets. You know where to go get your tickets. So I'm here to tell you as a Sox fan, go get your tickets. I know the team is currently uh, struggling right now, but they're still a good team. They need your support. We as Sox fans have, have eight uh, capacity sellouts so far this year. Uh, the weather is getting good, even though it's hot as you know what right now. The team is hot. Go support your White Sox. They will be open up to full capacity for now until the end of the regular season. It starts this Friday against Seattle. Go get your tickets. You know where to go get them. Yours truly is going to be out there for his sixth game of the year. Uh, I just purchased my tickets yesterday. I'll be out there on Sunday uh, to watch the White Sox take on the Mariners. So uh, there's no excuse, White Sox fans. Uh, we're in, uh, I don't want to start the whole Cubs Sox thing because that's childish, but we know that the Cubs had the third highest ticket prices in Major League Baseball. There are affordable seats, so everybody can come out. No excuses, folks. So come out. If you haven't had a chance to catch a game this year, then now here's your opportunity. It's open up to 100% full capacity. There's no excuse. Go get your tickets. You know where to go get them. Support the White Sox. 
This is a special team. This is a special season up to this point. Get your butt out there to go to Sox Park. And there's a, a, a whole range of ticket prices starting from $10 on up. So go support the White Sox at Sox Park. Absolutely. So oh, look, all the, just go on the White Sox website. All the information is there for the tickets. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, like you said, Sid, they have like the most economical you know, ticket packages in the league. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're like near like the bottom tier. So look, it's a it's affordable. Like you said, the team is very special. If you want to be part of the season, you know, check them out, and you have no excuses now. It's going to be full capacity starting starting this week. Starting this week, so get let's get let's get going. Yep, the the Sox team really needs your support. So go out there and Sox part to catch a, a, a couple of games. On that note. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter and the IG at SidKid80. Once again, at SidKid80, that's S-I-D-K-I-D-80, S-I-D-K-I-D-80. You follow me at Kina McGee on the Twitter and at Kino's Court McGee on the IG. You can catch this podcast, Second City Sports, first via the visual right here on YouTube at War Media. And once again, at W-A-R Media. Videos come out every Monday and Friday for a sneak peek. <laughs> Once again, videos come out every Monday and Friday right here on YouTube at War Media. You can catch the audio version of this podcast. That's at War on Anchor. On, that's once again at W-A-R-R on Anchor. The audio versions come out every Tuesday and Saturday. Once again, every Tuesday and Saturday. We are available on all podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app. Make sure you type in that search engine box, W-A-R-R on Anchor. You can go to our website, weareregalradio.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-R-E-G-A-L radio.com for more information. And you can follow us on all social media platforms, including right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at W-A-R-R Media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Once again, that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at War Media. Thank you very much for your support. Like, share, subscribe, and tell your friends. Yes, for Lakina McGee, I am Sydney Brown. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in to Second City Sports. We'll have another episode for you coming up later this week. That's the weekend edition of Second City Sports. Enjoy the sports this week. There's a lot of action going on. Stay out of trouble. Even though the pandemic may be over in some of you folks' minds, still protect yourself and be mindful of others. Let's not get too crazy here, folks. I know the weather's getting warm and we want to enjoy ourselves. Don't do anything stupid before you hear from us again. Exactly. Till next time. Holla!